Hello, I'm Jason Barnwell. I work on legal business, operations, and strategy for Microsoft. Today, we are talking with Vedika Mahira, Innovation Advisor at Warwick, Harrington, and Sutcliffe, Anish Mehta, Attorney for Experiences and Devices at Microsoft, and South Asian Bar Association of North American President, and University of Florida Superfan, and Lydia Patrakis, Attorney for Experiences and Devices at Microsoft, and Clemson University Superfan. The first half of the conversation is focused upon Microsoft Teams. Teams is a communication and collaboration platform that is part of Office 365, and it is catalyzing our innovation in our legal department. That portion of the conversation probably feels like an infomercial, but we wanted to offer a detailed explanation on how we are changing our engagement patterns with the benefit of a tool that supports our learning, development, and innovation efforts. The second half of the conversation focuses on how Warwick, Harrington, and Sutcliffe is making innovation a part of their culture for the benefit of clients like us. Vedika offered candid insights that will inform our efforts. And I would like to offer a special shout out to Wendy Butler Curtis and Kate Orr, also Warwick, Harrington, and Sutcliffe, for allowing me to join their session on data-driven decisions at the 2019 Clock Institute. I'm also glad to say that they honored their promise that I would not have to make any slides. Thanks, guys. With that, let's join the conversation. Okay, so we're here. Today we're basically talking about the process of creating sharing that supports innovation. Um, this conversation started with some outreach uh, by Vedika, who I think was, the, the, the question was basically, hey, I've heard about this like productivity hacker things you guys are doing. What's up with that? Yep. You talked about using Teams to share knowledge with, um, you know, people at the company, and um, so you know that's something we're looking to do as well, and we're just interested in how you all were doing it. You know, I've, I've heard that Oric is one like most innovative firms. It like how many years Twice running? Twice in a row. Twice in a row. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Yep. All right. Wendy's got her great uh, most innovative lawyer in North America as well. So who's Wendy? That. <laughs> Wendy Curtis is our chief innovation officer. What does she do? Everything. everything. She <laughs> pretty much everything. <laughs> All right. So in response to that outreach, uh, we brought in uh, Anish and Lydia, who are the leaders of Sealer Productivity Hackers, and I think that's a good entry point for our conversation. So, Anish, what what is Sealer Productivity Hackers? What what is this thing? So it's it's essentially a group of uh, our Sealer colleagues who are kind of interested in using technologies to innovate and really customize their work experience so it works better for them, right? And Lydia, do you have any other? Yeah, it's really kind of an area to foster and empower people to have a learning environment and really help those of us that do have information shared in a scalable manner that allows all of our colleagues to benefit from the learnings and for all of us to benefit from what they can share back. Well, that makes sense. So I guess what, what is, what, so if you have created this experience, what is the, the typical experience of people trying to share what they do? Like what is the gap that, that you guys observe that you're addressing? I'd say the gap that we observed is that there are a few people, yourself included, Jason, Lydia, who are known for being tech savvy. And, uh, you know, people were going to them and using up a lot of their time saying, hey, can you show me how to do this? Can you show me how to do that? And um, many of you are 
too nice to say no. Um, and so you kept on doing the same trainings over and over again. Um, and so I had to think about a way that you could scale this out, that some of the learnings from one group, you know, can port over to others. And so we thought about ways that this collaboration could be shared and Productivity Hackers was sort of born out of that was was initially the Seal of Bot Hackers, which was just first folks trying to use uh, like kind of conversational bots. Uh, and then it scaled out to, well, how do you use Teams better? And how do you use Yammer? And how do you use Word? And how can we make this more effective? Um, and that's sort of where we've landed now, where it's, uh, I think, uh, how many people do we have, Lydia? 300? Yeah, we have over 300 people in there now in our community. So that sounds like scale. And I think you've given us a little bit of a deeper understanding of what you're saying when you when you talk about that. So it has broad reach in as much as it's something that can really be a resource for a huge part of the department. But I think you also gave us a really valuable tidbit when you said you, you talked about the reuse because it is the case that in many organizations you have people who become regarded as an expert in a thing and they are a scarce resource and I, I, I think that as humans one of the things we really love is to go ask the expert right the, because it's very efficient but the challenge that you highlighted is a very real one which is your your people who are good at a thing they cannot they only have so many wakeful hours and so you need to find ways to repurpose uh, or really to make available what they have to offer at scale and so I guess the, uh, the, the, the final question I have is, so what, what is your governance and leadership structure? Like, how do you guys keep it going? What, who does what? I mean, the, the leadership structure is, is me and Lydia mostly, and, and obviously you as an emeritus leader of the group. Um, and, and the idea is that we kind of continue to seed conversations within the team. So as we see new features popping out, we surface them in the team and say, hey, is anybody using this? Has anybody heard of this? Um, and as that comes, that brings one track of conversation, and that's sort of like the, the early adopters who are willing to try out something else in the practice. The other part is is when people ask questions and say, hey, I don't know how to use, and it could be something anywhere from, I don't know how to use merge compare on Word to something extremely complex, like I need to use CRM. But uh, folks here and other folks say, all right, well, can you ask that question on productivity hackers? Other people might have that question. And then it's sort of resolved on there, either in the thread or via a video, video conversation that can be saved later. So it's a very organic process that brings forward the content. So somebody has a question, somebody has a need, and then the community tends to rise to actually produce that response that, that meets that need. Yeah, and the nice thing to your point is, you know, I think there is an idea, everybody likes to ask the expert. What this has actually done is actually surface new experts that people were using for their own purposes, but they weren't really the ones being asked to do trainings or bring it about to anybody else. But on this format, they can come in and say, have you tried this? I do this, I do this, this is how I've done things. And now you've kind of identified a broader community of experts. So I think, you know, you've talked about, you talked about chatbots and teams, and um, I think it'd be great to talk a little bit more about just teams as a tool. You know, Microsoft comes out with so many great products and outside of Microsoft, everyone's always trying to use them and figure out how do we use this best, you know, what's sort of the specific use case for this. So um, it would be great if you talk more about what is Teams, sort of how it works, uh, just generally, you know, um, what made you think uh, Teams was a good tool for this sort of uh, use case that you described? Sure. Lydia, you want to jump in and take this one? 
Sure. So um, we chose Teams because Teams is what's really great about it is it's a customizable workspace that really encourages collaboration with your regular working group. So when we use Teams is within our Teams, we've talked about earlier, you know, there might be a question about uh, an office product or Teams or something more complicated. We can have, you know, dedicated channels that has specific information to really organize all of the different questions. And it's something that in Microsoft, um, as our product, we're really encouraging our SILA um, and other people in Microsoft to use this product. So everyone's getting on board and using it. Um, so it's a great way to encourage usage and show how our tool can really help. And the other way is that we can help test and figure out better ways and even more improvements. And also, kind of as a start, I mean, this group was an experiment, and Teams, when we first launched this group as SEAL Bot Hackers, was very new. It, using itself was part of the experiment of like, how could we use this? What does work? And so it started as a group of sort of early adopters testing out a technology, and it sort of worked for what we were doing, which was the, the training for how to, how to start your own bot, like chatbot. And, and it just, as it's evolved, it's Teams has gained more functionality, we've gained more members, and it's, it's kind of worked for us as a, as a platform. Can you, so, please go ahead. Yeah, with that, one of the great things uh, we were talking about earlier is like the durability. So if you have that expert and they recorded their training, it stays in Teams and lives in Teams. So if somebody else has that question, you know, we can re-reference that post and say, oh, you know, so-and-so had already asked that question. I can at mention you in Teams to bring that to light. Or when new people join Microsoft and Sela, they can still have access to all that information instead of it being lost in someone's inbox or in somebody's brain down the hallway. So can we take a second and let's let's slow down. Let's just walk through some of the core things that Teams does. So Lydia, you were talking about conversations. What what does that mean? Like what's a conversation in Teams? How does it work? Yeah, absolutely. So it's it's basically a threaded conversation. So that basically means that somebody starts a, a conversation in Teams and then others are allowed to reply to it. So all of the conversation stays in one night, what we call a threaded conversation. And within that, people can share files to support their conversation. So if somebody asks a question, you know, how do I use this? And uh, I'd already created, whether it be a document to explain it, a PowerPoint or a recording, I can share that right in that conversation. So we can have quick uh, back and forth. Um, the best part about a conversation in Teams, our team is public, meaning everyone in our Stila team can see these conversations. So it can allow people to discover new information, you know, chime in, uh, maybe identify themselves even as an expert. Okay, so, but but I can have I can have conversations in email, right? So. What what is better about Teams than email? Like, is it more? Like, when you say you, you keep using this word durable, like what? Like, what do you guys mean? Yeah. So you know, when you email, it's it stays in your email and whoever you send it to, right? So it's only in their email. If they move on, uh, or if somebody comes on later in. Um, excluding Outlook Group, somebody comes in later to this group, they don't have the, the benefit of seeing all the discussions before. When it's in this chat form, I can add you tomorrow and you can see all we've talked about throughout the whole history of this group. And so you can go back and say, um, like, you don't have to ask, has anybody done this for you? You can search through it and say, all right, has anybody developed X or has anybody talked about X? And you can see everything that's been done, which in an org like this that's quite dynamic, you can see as people come and go, you, you need to have that durability so that you don't have to always be be asking that question saying all right somebody did that let me see if it's in my inbox from from three months ago or two years ago or five years ago 
Okay. That's helpful. And you said that you, so somehow attachments and other documents are, are somehow hanging off these conversations. Like, how does that work? Like, what's going on there? So Teams sits on top of SharePoint, and and when you, when you drop a file within the Teams chat window, there's a file, there's a SharePoint folder associated with that team, and it's dropped in there, and you can just click to the tab, look at the file, and see every file that's been dropped within that team chat. So unlike email, where if I get forwarded an email after the fact and the attachment's not there, if I join a team conversation, that, that the document, whatever it is that was added, it's going to be there. It's still available, yes. Okay, okay. Yep. And, and Lydia, so... I, like this whole you know typing thing is good, but can I also meet live with people in Teams? Does it give me that kind of capability? Yes, you can meet live or even schedule a meeting right from Teams. So that's really helpful. I think Anisha alluded to earlier. Somebody had a question, you know, that will encourage them to go put it in Productivity Hackers. Sometimes what we'll do is we'll encourage them just to do a live meeting right in Productivity Hackers with us so we can walk through um, the scenario. Others can join in or it'll record it using stream and we can watch it later and have it referenced for others. Whoa, wait. So I, I can not only meet, but I can record the meeting so other people could experience that content later from directly within Teams. Yeah, absolutely. So we use our stream as one of our other Microsoft products as the recording technology, and it'll allow you to record it. It'll live right there in Teams. You can even share that link out, and that's really helpful when you have people that are either remote, different time zones, or even just out of the office or haven't yet even joined the, the team. They can all reference it later. I think really it's like the versatility to have synchro like synchronous discussions, asynchronous discussions, and have it be durable kind of allows for like the most collaboration versus kind of email, right? Very cool. So, you know, a lot that's, you know, it sounds like there's a lot of functionality. We talked about conversations, emails, documents, recordings. You mentioned SharePoint, um, and, you know, that's something I think a lot of people are familiar with and people use to create uh, sort of these knowledge management database sites. What sort of other um, apps or integrations or uh, just sort of tools do you see working well with Teams um, in terms of making it a, you know, like holistic kind of platform for people to use? Lydia, you want to take this one? Sure. So what's great about Teams, we were I mentioned it earlier, is customizable for each channel, is you can add what we call tabs uh, at the top that incorporates other Microsoft products and services. So we've seen really great usage of adding a tab, whether it's for a Word document or an Excel spreadsheet for collaboration, um, pinning a, a SharePoint site. If people have a lot of other knowledge management, they can bring that into Teams. Uh, one of my favorites is one of the new uh, Yammer integrations. So if you're using Yammer, you can bring Yammer conversations into Teams um, Planner if you're doing a, a group project and you want to plan tasks. So the big important part of it is, is you can use all of our products and services and bring them in, whether I'm, all the ones I mentioned even to Power BI. But the great part about Teams is it makes it easy. It can sound really overwhelming when we're talking about SharePoint on the back end for storage or stream for videos, is Teams does that for you. You don't have to know that you have to go put it in SharePoint or other places, so you can work within this initial workspace. And there are numerous third-party apps you can add as well, which is nice. Yeah. How do people, I guess, you know, as new users of Teams, how does, 
do you also like in terms of designing this site? It sounds like you all put it together, um, or you know, some, someone just kind of started throwing some questions together. How do you sort of recommend or just advise people on all these different ways you can use it and all the integrations? Um, so it has its best use. So as far as as far as design, I mean, it's it's as easy to set up as basically having your distribution list to start with. You put it on there and it opens it up. I think you, you then. I, I think there's a trial and error process to think about what channels you want on there. Um, and now we've added a feature of private channels that'll be nice. But you know, it, you you have to really look at the work stream. I, I think I've always started with just having like the general, which is the the base one that's always started, um, and seeing how conversations go. If there's you get to a critical mass in there, you may want to start breaking off work streams. But I think it, in some cases it's tough if you have a bunch of different broken work streams and nobody's yet starting to collaborate because then it gets hard to jump in for for a new user. Okay, what what is what is this channel thing? What is that? All right. So uh, within each team, there can be multiple channels, right? So um, uh, it's, if we're looking at the CELA Productivity Hackers, there's a channel for Microsoft Office, for Teams, for Steering Committee, Decision Making, Azure. And so these are sort of subject matters that you, you kind of ask people to have you know, their conversations about Azure in the Azure channel so that it's for ease of, of finding uh, past conversations, you can go in there. And, and you can opt in and opt out of each specific channel. You can you can not listen to it. You can follow or not follow, and that way you're not overloaded with notifications. So if if um, you know legal innovation isn't important to me, I can mute it and not track it because that's something Jason's working on with three or four people. But it's not relevant to what I'm doing now. I can always go back and add something that I've hidden back in, but I don't need to follow everything. So a channel is almost like a room where certain conversations happen. Yeah, it's and, a chat room. Yeah. And if I'm interested in that, then I probably favorite that channel and I get the notifications that spin off that. But if that's not a room that I, I really want to check out, then I can ignore it. You can ignore it. You stay be on the team, but not follow that channel. So this feels different than email because in email, when I'm a member of even an Outlook group, there's no segmentation, right? Correct. And so I, I'm just going to get notifications for every communication that comes through on whatever that distribution list or that Outlook group would have you. But Teams let me lets me actually only focus on the channels that have con are likely to have content that I care about. Yeah. The one caveat I've been as far as Outlook group is that you don't have to have Outlook group emails go into your inbox, right? You can just not subscribe. You can subscribe to the group but not have it go in your inbox so you don't get the notifications. Mm -hmm. But other than that, you don't get the sort of granularity you do with the, the team's channels. Okay. Okay. And so Lydia, when, how, I'm, I'm curious. You, you you seem to have deep knowledge about channels. Like, what, what are your thoughts on setting up a team so that the channel structure makes sense? And I also heard you, I think somebody mentioned that there's this new kind of private channel concept. Can can you walk us through just briefly like what, what these things mean and, and how you would use them to, to segment uh, effectively uh, the ability to see stuff to for the right people? This is Jason with a quick editorial note. Lydia is going to be talking about private channels in Teams that is not generally available yet, but will be available to customers in the future.
Yeah, absolutely. So channels can be what we call now standard. That means that everyone that is a member of the team has access and can view the content in that channel. And then there's going to be a new private channel. And this means that you can restrict a subset of the number of members in the team to be able to view the content of that channel. So for example, if uh, in Sila Productivity Hackers, we have a channel called Steering Committee. So if we wanted to make sure that only right now Anish, myself, and, and you saw it, we could set that up as a private channel and restrict it to just the three of us. Uh, so that would be an example of how you can do it. So the way I think about it, I think it's important to do a lot of trial and error, like Anish mentioned earlier, is start with the general channel and start with another big topic and start seeing what content shows up. What are, for our case, what questions are being asked? What are people's interests? Where is the conversation going? And then if you start noticing that there's a large amount of content in a certain area, then you can start building out a new channel. So I always think of guidance for it as well as, is start with the bigger topic. Like if you can start with Microsoft Office, that way all the content of whether it's a SharePoint, a, you know, Yammer teams or whatever question goes in that area. And if you notice, wow, there's a lot about teams, then maybe we can break out a separate channel. And the reason why you want to do that is if you start having a lot of channels and they're dead, there's not a lot of conversations, people won't come back. People will think that there's not going to be um, helpful information and they'll start ignoring it. So it's really important to grow that user base and people being excited is showing active channel activity. Okay. So couple things there. One, I heard experiment, like just get people using it, see what happens. I heard, I think two, content is most important because that's what drives that virtuous cycle. And then I think there was a third thing that was implicit uh, in what you were getting at, Lydia, which is finding ways to direct people's attention to content. And are, do, you, do you guys have any best practices on how to actually drive people's attention to the content that might be most relevant for, for them? Are there any features built into Teams that make it easier to actually get your colleagues to see stuff that is going to be most relevant for them? Yeah, you should. You could tag them. So I, you can at mention the channel, you can at mention the team or the individual people. And uh, I mean, even even best practice email now, a lot of it, when you have like 12 people in emails, you should at mention the person you're asking for some sort of action. But yeah, if you at mention them, you can see on the left banner, you're told that somebody has tagged you or the team or the channel. And so, you know, if somebody tags a channel, you're probably going to look at some point. If somebody tags me directly, I'm going to look almost right away because there might be some action for me to take care take care of right there that makes sense do you think um, in terms of you know managing and maintaining the site and um, setting up these channels is there any need for someone to really be a team owner um, do you sort of recommend it's just like everyone's sort of um, coming together and creating something or do you recommend someone being sort of the keeper of the site uh, you know, maybe it, managing permissions, content, all of that. How have sort of you all approached that? I mean, there, there should be folks who are sort of managing the group to kind of keep it lively. And, and that's that's a place where, you know, several of us and even folks who are not necessarily on, uh, have the, you know, administrator level access to the site are sort of tasked with just kind of 
surfacing content. And usually, this is an opt-in community, so people are pretty good about that. But you don't need like a like a web administrator who's going to devote a lot of time to the management of the group. It's just mostly surfacing content and, and creating dialogues and and making sure if you can trying to respond to people. I mean, it's in some ways it's like a social media platform. Like people like to see their posts liked, and if they see that there's engagement in there, they're going to come back. Okay, what what what, what does that mean? Tell me more. So you can like posts. You can, you know, there's, it's it is in, in that sense. That you can add Giphy. Um, you, you can thumbs up. You can respond to their posts. But people like people don't like you know yelling down a hallway. They like to actually say something and have know that their their comments have been acknowledged. So um, you know, in email you can ask for a read receipt or something. But here it's just all you all you have to do is try to like people's posts so they know somebody read it. I don't need to have a long detailed response. But if people see that their their posts are being read. They're going to keep on posting, I think. So, like smiley face emojis, heart emoticons, I'll accept all responses. So, one of the things I find really interesting, and at least in Microsoft culture, is on the email side of things, a lot of people feel the need to say like plus one on something, right? Which is really lovely because it's basically somebody saying, I agree with you, but it also generates email traffic that then burdens everybody who's a recipient <laughs> and so it's really interesting that there's this mechanism that you know has been drawn from social media that allows people to acknowledge the value or the benefit that's been provided but it really doesn't burden everybody else who is a participant of the conversation it's much more subtle and so it doesn't draw people's attention away but it does mean because of the notification system that the person who took the time to produce that content is going to get that feedback and I presume that then draws as you were saying draws them back in to provide even more benefit for the community yeah it stops you from having to send out like an email saying is anybody reading this like uh, or do I stop emailing or did you stop listening so it's it's instant feedback and it's valuable and actually to that email point I know you know a lot of this is moving away from email but in that interim when some people are not living in teams yet can you say oh can I set up some email notifications so while I'm getting used to teams I'm getting emails in my inbox to sort of remind me to yeah Lydia yeah, absolutely. So that's the great thing about Teams is in your profile picture, you can change all of your settings to control how much notifications you want. So I often recommend that when a user is new to Teams, they increase their amount of notifications. So you can have send an email notification as well as a notification within Teams. And as they get more accustomed to coming and checking, then you can reduce the amount of notifications and remove emails. So I check Teams regularly. I live in it all day long. So I have very low notification settings versus somebody that's newer. Yeah, there, you can. There's you know a hybrid way you can live. There's one notifications going from Teams into email, but also what you can do is start uh, on large distribution, kind of the one-way list. You can BCC actually each channel in Teams, and emails can go that way. So if you want to do both and only send out one, you can send out an email to your group and you know BCC that, and that email will be populated in the Teams so that people can comment in there, and you can kind of wean people off email only. Uh, whoa, 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 wait a minute. <laughs> so, so I can take an email, and I can forward it to a channel in Teams, and that content that was in email will just kind of automatically show up as a new conversation in Teams? Correct. Each channel in Teams has, has a unique email address that you can send it to, and you hit the little three ellipses on the side, and you can copy an email address and forward it there pretty easily. 
I do want to highlight what Anish said earlier, as he said BCC. So to, to your point, Jason, earlier, to revo- avoid the reply all happening in Teams and in emails is you want to put the Teams in the BCC channel. So if somebody does reply to the email, every single reply all doesn't post something new in Teams. Got it. So if I, if I do not put the email address on the BCC line, but I put it on the two or the CC line, every time somebody replies all, it'll literally create a new conversation in A teams. new post in. A new post Correct. I see, I see, okay. Yes, that would be bad. Okay, very helpful. So, I mean, I think it would be great to talk about uh, kind of how this has worked, but before we switch gears, this is all great, and now I'm like, I want Teams, right? I, I want to be a customer of Teams. Um, how do I get it? Do, is it just, do I call simple? I'm sure every, you know, organization is different, but um, do you have to pay for it? Is it as simple as calling my IT and there's just, well, download it and I sign in? Lydia? Yeah, so Teams is part of your Office 365 subscription. It does depend for certain customers on what SKU and what level they have, but Teams. So if you don't have Teams already, you may actually have it already active and not know it. Your administrator may have it, and if not, you can have the administrator have open the licenses for everyone. Is, is there a free version? Yes. Uh, there is a free version um, that helps when you have um, external collaborators, which we haven't talked about yet. Wait a minute, wait a minute. So. So I could, I can invite people who are not a member of my organization to participate in the Teams experience? You sure can. Tell me more. Yeah, so for example, uh, in our case here at Microsoft, when we have some of our outside counsel that we want to participate in some of our teams and channels, so we invite them. You can also invite uh, guest users with a consumer email address as well. Well, okay. so. That, that sounds good, but but now I'm worried. Like, uh, so can can these guests? Can they like take over my team? Like, are they gonna are they gonna like delete channels and break stuff? Like, I, I, now I'm worried. Like, what what's gonna happen? No, actually, so when you create a team as the team owner, you can set certain permissions of what any member can do. Uh, and the guest would, would be a member, not an owner, since they're not part of your domain. You can set permissions or restrictions. And then your IT admin for your company can also control how these users are added and maintained to make sure the security of your company is up to your policy and, and risk tolerance. Okay, so it basically will respect all of the Office 365 information government settings that have been prescribed for your tenancy it'll it'll just do all the right things that have been set by the people at the top yeah okay good that makes me feel so good. no reason to be scared just seeing it as another way to uh, continue collaboration just like you want to be able to collaborate with external people on email here's another way to continue that collaboration just in a different culture and type of workspace can I get it on my phone Yes, you can. I actually love the Teams mobile app because I think it has great parity from desktop to mobile. So my favorite is is the persistent chat. Uh, so I can start a chat conversation right here on my desktop, continue it in the elevator to another office, You know, jump on those calls. Let's say someone's having a call in a meeting and productivity hackers, I could listen to it through you know, safely on Bluetooth in my car or wherever I may be. Do, do, do I have to do all that like painful like dialing and key punching to get into uh, a Teams meeting for my mobile device? 
No, your team shows your calendar, right, in Outlook. So you have the one-click button to join the Teams meeting, just like we used to have for join Skype meetings in, in your email. That sounds and nice. actually, it starts showing a notification on your desktop that somebody has started the meeting, like earlier, right before our meeting. It said, you know, Jason has started it. I was able to just do a one-click and jump right in. And so circling back to functionality we talked about right at the beginning, if we're uploading documents and emails and things, you'd be able to hop onto your meeting on your phone, let's say on the go, and you'll have all your material in there as well for easy reference. Absolutely. So one thing that has been interesting for me to observe is how beneficial Teams has been for you guys, because it really does push people to work together a little bit differently, right? So in many ways, I think when people operate in email land, um, they don't move forward with the presumption that they're going to share, right? It's more about the thing that I'm looking to get done right now. And I could be wrong, but I've observed that when people are engaging in your productivity hackers team, like it's just a little bit different. It's people, you know, putting content out there. People, people courageously asking questions. You know, has anybody done this? Does somebody have an example of this? But then a lot of investment from other people who are the experts who come in and realize, like, oh, if I take a little bit of extra time to give this answer, it's going to live longer than in the the one email that I replied back into. And so it may seem very subtle, but you know, so much of innovation and so much of change is fueled by culture change, by people trying to think a little bit differently about the impact of the contribution that they're gonna make. And I, one of the things I've just marveled at is that it really is just, it's just different enough that people are participating in a noticeably different way and you can actually see it. And so I just found that to be really interesting and it wasn't something that I would have guessed that we would have seen from from the beginning. And so, you know, a really valid question for anybody might be, well, should I just go with an Outlook group, right? Should I go with something that's more conventional? Because it is probably something that is going to be more known. There's less of a ramp for learning for, for your people if you have an Outlook group. It, you know, everybody's got email. And the thing that I observed that I would not have guessed from the from the start, because it's it's much like Anish was saying, when they first started, it was just like, well, here's a new thing. We should we should give it a try. But one of the the benefits that have come from that is the interaction pattern is different, and it causes people to contribute differently because they have different expectations about the value of what they contribute back in. And that's just been an interesting thing to, to observe kind of from afar. Yeah, I mean, I think that, you know, one of the big complaints anybody has in any org is like they worry about transparency, right? And so, you know, whenever you're writing an email, you make the decision, I'm going to include this person, not person, or not that person. And usually it's out of like, I don't want to burn their inbox or bother them with this thing. But you do leave somebody out there. And at that point, there's there's less transparency in the group. And this is as transparent as can be because the whole conversation is out there for everybody to see. Um, so you do think about differently how your interactions are. You don't think about, oh, well, let me let me drop this person from the team or create a new channel or team so I can exclude this person. I'm just I'm going to lay this out there. That's a really good point because one of the things that we suffer from internally is we, we I mean we call them silos, right? Wherein, well, <laughs> work that's happening over here that is very similar or relevant to work that's happening over there, they just don't talk to each other. And one of the really interesting things about a well-structured team is 
you get the benefit of people having horizontal visibility. But if going back to you know what Lydia and Anish were describing, if it's structured thoughtfully, realizing that you know you, you have to let it evolve a little bit, but if it's stru- structured thoughtfully, people still have access. So just because they're not being bombarded with the, the content that's not relevant for them now, doesn't mean that they can't go get it later. And that's really valuable because in many instances, people start off with kind of at one place where they need certain types of information. So you could imagine that there's almost, imagine a maturity life cycle for somebody who is trying to learn a thing. You could imagine that, you know, maybe if, uh, if, if, so in our specific example, it starts off with kind of the basics of Office and over time it starts moving into other places like Teams or Azure or the like. And the beautiful thing is they have access to all of those those higher tiers or those those more complicated tiers. Similarly, if somebody, you know, comes in at one place and they are, are focused on something that's very narrow, they can then back into a lot of the more foundational elements too that might supplement what they what they need. And so that's just been a really interesting thing to observe. So, yeah. And I think it's really important is when you're talking about that is, is what you want the team when you have that desire to have that collaboration and that team workspace and that culture shift and a lot of contributions to different media. You know, if people aren't ready and they just want to use a file repository, like I've seen people like, oh, I just want to store a bunch of files. I'll create a team. But then you're not using the right functionality of teams. You know, at that point, you know, a SharePoint group is the right thing. Or if like, oh, I just want to do emails, then, you know, groups, an outlet group can still be the right tool. So it's really knowing what your audience is and what your, your end goal is. Nice. So, Bitika, do you have any, I'm curious if you have any stories you can share about your, your innovation process, because you guys are quite adept at this. Yeah, and we actually, so I think part of this was we started, um, you know, our org analytics group, which is our center where we have, you know, process people, data people, um, just sort of non-traditional uh, practicing roles. And they have a great Teams uh, site that they're using. And so we're trying to kind of um, do some other stuff with it. And so I started setting up uh, one for our team. And actually, a couple of things we talked about are great. You know, I started backwards. I started with creating the channels because I thought, oh, these are the things we talk about. And they'll fit quite neatly in. And it turns out they actually didn't. And so it was interesting to hear you say, start with the general thing and see where it goes. And I think it sounds like with tools, there's different ways to approach it, right? SharePoint, I think you want to create that structure ahead of time, right? Build it, know the requirements. Whereas it sounds like something with Teams, you maybe start out not so rigid and see where it goes. Um, and so that's something that will be really interesting for us to try, I think, and see where that goes. So I'm, that's really cool. So I'm curious, uh, you know, so I, I, I may have happened to be talking with Wendy uh, earlier today, and she offered some really, really good insights about how you guys engage with your internal folks to actually get innovative ideas mm-hmm. out of them. And I'm curious if you, if like, what does that look like? Like, what are what are some of the things that you guys do to foster that kind of culture and that kind of engagement with your folks? Yeah, and I think you know, a lot of times you always there's part of it is incentivizing people to do you know to give us ideas. Part of it is really just saying, let's give you the time and the day to think about it. You know, I think people have ideas. A lot of times they just don't have those hours to say, I'm going to put that hour aside to brainstorm. So. We do um, a lot of hackathons and things across the firm, specific by office and by practice group, 
um, because I think offices have different needs, practice groups have different needs. So we give people that time to say, here's this three hours in the day and let's brainstorm these ideas. Um, Same thing we like to do with tools. We'll say, if we're going to start using a tool like this, let's sit down and brainstorm how we might use this. So one is just giving people the time and the day. And then the other is, you know, in a law firm, again, there's all these requirements and structural kind of challenges. So um, we sort of just have these like innovation prizes almost where we say it's, it doesn't come out of a hackathon necessarily. It just says if you have a great idea, submit it to us. And every year someone gets a prize for, um, you know, a great idea. So that's one thing. And then uh, we do this thing called 2% Ideas, which um, is primarily directed um, towards partners. But the idea is spend 2% of your time thinking about some ideas. So, you know, we have the hackathons. We have just any time you have an idea, send it to us. And then we also have this 2% of your time. We're giving you that time to put it towards innovation and, you know, create a business plan. So a lot of different ways, I think, uh, Auric um, encourages people to innovate and think about it. And over time, with all the great successes we've had and projects that have come out of it, it's becoming much more organic and natural. And people are feeling uh, more inclined to just submit ideas because good things come of them. But the starting point is giving people time giving them incentives to actually bring their really good ideas forward. Yep. Okay. Well, I mean, it sounds very simple, but... Uh, right. <laughs> no one ever has time, right? That's the hardest thing to do with people. Um, but, and it, yeah. I think one of the things I worry about is actually with, with the terminologies, right? We call it, like, hackathons or hacking. And I think, you know, to folks like my age or a little older, like I think of, like, the 90s definition of some super technical coder who, who has to have this expertise level totally. to do it. And it's trying to bring in people to understand it's really about just custom your environment for you and so like for me how I think about it is like I don't know anything about cars I never have I got in three car wrecks in the first six months and never really liked driving since but I don't get in the car and not adjust the rearview mirror and set it to my my settings and then you always want to take a little further make it more comfortable I had just a radio but I wanted to plug in my CD player so I got a plug-in thing in the lighter that went up uh, that that transmitted to the radio so then I can listen to my, my CD so there's like little hacks I did that's not to say I'm gonna be on fast and furious and, and you know, souping <laughs> up my car but you got to be able to support like sort of the whole realm of hackers that are from I just want to minimize like just change it just so I can work better to I want like the, the fastest thing on the, the quarter mile right so I, I think that's where the hard thing is and I, I think the hackathons definitely get the people who are bought in how do you get the rest of the folks to kind of buy in because a lot of them are in, in leadership in many orgs so it sounds like part of what you've done is I think I heard two interesting elements that go after what Anish is talking about. And I really like this idea that you're customizing your, your workspace because that, that really summarizes what you're doing. You're trying to become more productive by tailoring the experience so that you are more effective. And I think that's a really good framing on it. But one of the things that you noted that I thought really was really interesting is you talked about you know, making sure that your firm leaders, so the, the partners who really are the ones who are driving the business, that they have incentives to invest to, that they're bringing your entire organization forward. And I think that's really important and special because 
you know, and, and I think what you were starting to imply is that you're, you're getting to a point where it's starting to become part of the fabric of your culture, and at that point, it starts to become sustaining, and it may not require as much uh, active kind of prize and other elements that pull people forward. Are you starting to see a little bit of that momentum take you forward? Oh, definitely, I think. I mean, so I started at Oric only this year, and part of it is that, just growing our team, because we started at a place where you kind of had to incentivize people, give them time, so many benefits, you know, people are seeing the benefits of that, that now we just get ideas all day long, right? And so I don't want to say we turn down things, but we have to prioritize them um, and figure out what's sort of going to benefit the larger group versus a project that's just going to benefit a couple of people. So we're at that point where we're starting to prioritize things, which is great, um, but in a way that we don't want to dis incentivize people to stop sending it, right? We always want to be careful with not shutting people down because we always want the ideas um, flowing. But I think, Anish, to your point, like some of them are huge, big practice group changes, right? We want to create this whole system and some of them are just such small, simple ideas. I just have this document that, you know, I use all the time over and over again. How can I figure out a way to not do it over and over again? You know, Mm -hmm. so it's just simple. Um, So we see a wide range of um, ideas that come to us and um, from all over, you know, mm-hmm. so I think it's really important to have buy-in at the leadership level and, you know, uh, make sure everyone at that level is on the same page, but it really trickles down um, to, you know, everyone else. And so we see um, requests come in from, like, our executive assistants to project managers to new associates. A couple of, one of the projects I'm working on was brand new associates, which is really cool because they haven't even been at the firm that long. and. They're already sort of like, oh, this sounds like there's a lot of innovation and cool things, ways in which I can do my work. So it's, it's really changing the expectations of what normal behavior looks like. Mm-hmm. It is just a thing that you do at Oric that if you see an idea that could make the work better, you're going to bring it forward. Mm-hmm. You're going to find a way to bring it to, to your team. And you guys will do the, the ruthless prioritization that is necessary when you have limited resources. But... That also means that you guys get to spot the patterns, right? Mm-hmm. You guys get to look across the, the entire horizon and say like, huh, we're getting the same thing many times. Yep. Like, hmm, maybe we should invest in this. Yeah, and it's a great place to be because you mentioned silos earlier, which you know, when you have a such big companies, big firms, there's a lot of those. But being at a team at the top, especially with something like innovation where you want it to seep into the whole firm, it's great to see things coming in from like Paris and London and all these different offices and they're really similar problems. Um, so then being able to say, okay, you know, we'll start this in the Seattle office, but we know Paris needs it, and then we'll branch out there. Um, so being able to see that, you know, that 40, 50,000 foot level has been really incredible. So I, I take it that also means for some of these scenarios, you don't have to solve it all at once. It, you can take a piece and, and, and maybe test it out. Like, yep. does, it, does it give you some experimentation? Like, what, what do you, how does that look? Yeah, and I think exactly with this sort of Teams example, we always start with small. Mm-hmm. I think it's the easiest way to get traction. It's like, I think we found if you start to build something huge, people are overwhelmed, right? Like, I think if you gave someone a team site with 50 channels and 35 meetings and 50 documents, everyone would be like, what is this? But if you start small and you grow it with people um, and bring people along with you, it makes a huge difference. So I do want to actually put Lydia on blast for a second here. So 
goodness. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, one, one of the things I've observed about Lydia is she has this very gentle way of bringing people along, right? And I, I, I'm not going to name any names, but I, I, I am confident in saying that Lydia has brought along some of our least tenured folks, some of our most tenured folks, some of our folks who are, if you look at the, the org chart, are maybe closer to the bottom, and some people that are closer to the top. And Lydia, I'm, I'm curious if you have any kind of general observations, because you, you have taught, trained, supported, helped, brought so many people along, and I'm curious if you have any observations from the breadth of that experience over the last year. Yeah, so a lot of it is is people just thinking that their their question is silly or stupid or not worthwhile and just really getting that encouragement that no matter what their question is, there's somebody else that has the same question. And if it's a newer person, it's I bet you, you know, what we call, you know, an AGC or GGC has the same question too, no matter where they are in the organization. So really giving that, really just fostering that um, openness to go help them. And the biggest part is just showing them, as you mentioned earlier, is is why in the world is learning this new tool and coming to this new space going to create an efficiency or a productivity? Like, why is this going to benefit my life? So I'm just really open of sharing, like, here's something I tried and, man, it failed. It didn't work well. It actually took me more time. But here's something when I tried it, it really saved me time or I saw somebody else. Uh, being saved time by doing it um, so that's always helpful and just being really patient of talking and uh, understanding where they are in their journey of adoption I when I joined Microsoft I was the one person that thought I was like a kid in a candy store because I had a license to all technology I could go play and experiment and I am not an engineer by trade as you are I am not a coder um, I just love technology and what it can do. But knowing that not everybody else is in that same part of the journey, so really thinking about where they are and, and helping them along. Um, I think sometimes just that relateness, uh, relative, being able to relate to someone, I can't code either, and you can still make a really big impact and have used technology without that. Um, that's why Teams is great. So I think I heard effectively make people feel safe, that it is not weird, that your questions are not weird, they are normal, it doesn't have any implications for your intelligence, like, it's just, this is normal. Um, Show people the value, like, help them really see, like, okay, this is how this is going to help you, you know, get whatever it is you have to get done faster. And then the, the last thing I heard was really just meet people where they are. Like, just be unafraid to, to find someone who is either a novice or an expert and engage with them with the idea that I can help you somehow, some way. Or maybe you can help me and you're going to teach me. That seems like a really good recipe as a general matter for innovation all up. And I'm curious if there's any kind of cultural elements that you find resonance in for what you guys are trying to do at Auric. I, I mean, I think all of those, the whole make people feel like safe, you know, and that everyone has the same questions, and um, we see that all the time. Mm-hmm. I mean, we see uh, just people have ideas, and sometimes they seem so small. Like, again, we're talking about even little ideas make a huge difference, and this maybe it will fail. So being able to say it will fail and that's okay, um, or maybe it'll just work for this one project and we thought it would be scalable and other clients will love it. 
and maybe other clients don't love it or they don't want it or you know they just so this idea that you can build something and maybe it'll be great once maybe it'll just be something that will take off but um, being able to know that it's okay that it won't work um, and just kind of focusing on trying different things and asking all the right questions and making people feel okay about doing that. Wait a minute. Wait, wait failure's okay? <laughs> what? Wait, wait, wait. I don't know if I'm <laughs> supposed to say that. <laughs> so, um, but, you know, I think that's another thing we really try and focus on on our team is we love to firstly work partner with clients, you know, so that's why this is so great to say, what do our clients want, right? And the hope is always that a lot of our clients will want the same thing, but maybe that's not the case, right? Maybe one client will want something, we'll just invest in that. Um, and it will just work for that. And so you've put in a lot of resources, but that's okay. Um, so just kind of figuring out, you know, uh, what's gonna, what we think is gonna work well, what may not, but then also knowing it may not work well. And so I, I, as your client, will tell you that in many instances, Failure is beautiful. Uh, so Cat uh, Moon at Vanderbilt is actually uh, hosting Failure Camp uh, this summer, which I'm sorry I will not be able to make, but it sounds awesome. So on our legal business operations and strategy team, we actually have a mantra that we use to try to get us in the right headspace with this. And it is success is learning and failure is not trying. And so the fact that you guys are doing this as our partners is wonderful and marvelous because that means that your cultural values are aligning with ours. And one of the benefits for us as, as a client when that starts to happen is we have to put less effort into policing your behavior, right? Because we know that the good things, the right things, the things that are gonna result in more value for us are happening without us having to push. So I will just say that my, my heart leapt when you said failure because I was like, yes, that is exactly the right attitude. And, you know, look, it's, as long as there is commensurate learning, because the thing is, we're going to have to try again. We're going to have to go again. And as long as we, you know, learn something so that we don't fail quite the same way the next time, then we're probably making forward progress. And the fact that you you felt comfortable using that word, I think, is is wonderful and delightful. And so now I, I just want to reinforce, like, <laughs> failure can be a very good thing, right? As long as there is learning that is attached to it that advances us materially. Right. And I think, you know, especially in a new space like innovation, and I think specifically at a law firm, it's hard. We're always like, we have to do it right, right? Law firms don't have that mentality to just, like, startups, for example. It's just fail and it's fine. You have to kind of always get it right. But... Exactly that. It's like if you're not going to get it right, let's figure out why, and the next time we do it, um, let's make sure that doesn't happen. So I think that there's a good culture, and I think with reinforcement from clients and you know these sort of strategic partnerships, that's a really good path forward. Mm -hmm. So I will. So for you know some of our work, that especially some of the work we take to Oric, it is really high impact stuff. Mm -hmm. I mean, it is it is some of the most notable and important work that we do because we have deep faith but part of that is implicit that the what is implicit in that is that we often bring work to org that does not have a right answer right that in some instances we are exploring the boundaries of what is and what may be and you know we have deep faith and trust that the expertise that you have in your legal professionals is going to get us to the right answer. But I think that that is only supported when you have a culture that has people who are open to the idea of starting off with one, I don't know, right? Ooh, so scary, I don't know. 
But two, not feeling boxed in when they're coming up with a solution, right? And so, you know, we talk about failure, but a lot of it really comes down to lack of fear to explore what could be, what might be. And that's where really novel solutions often show up. So I, I feel like maybe I've, uh, I've, I've perseverated on this, but I, I really do want to reinforce that you will not get that innovation culture that we're seeking that brings not just, you know, process excellence and all the good things that, you know, create repeatable success, but the really, really out there solutions that you need for the weird stuff. Like, you just don't get that unless the culture supports it. And so I am delighted to hear that you guys are, are pushing, and I, I just want to reinforce that that is exactly what we're looking for from partners, and we value that. No, and, that, and that's, you know, that's great. That's exactly what we look to do, and I think you said something you said about saying you don't know, and that's something else we really try and be um, good about it, saying if we're not the best place for this or we don't have the skills, which we have the skills for everything, <laughs> but you know, I'm just saying if we're like, we're really not, um, we still wanna do the best for our clients and say, okay, we can recommend you or here's all these tools we've tested, but we don't have them at the firm, but you know, so just trying to say, yeah, we don't know, but this is probably in the right direction. Um, so kind of a little bit of those things, which uh, again, it's just not something you really see in the law firm culture or the legal industry is, um, we're trying to be better about those. So I will again reinforce as uh, somebody who helps to oversee our law firm engagement strategy that nothing builds credibility with our folks here, like saying, you know, I probably could do this thing for you, but there's somebody else who might do this even better for other reasons. And it could be that, you know, there's a specialty that's necessary, or it could just be that the cost structure doesn't really make sense. And when you have somebody who's willing to say, you know what, I could, but, you know, I'm, honestly, I'm looking out for you. And I think that maybe this is this other partner is a better choice. That creates credibility like people would not believe. And so, again, I will just reinforce that having that kind of long view on the relationship, that is something that we value and that makes people feel like they're really cared for. And that's what creates re repeat engagement, right? It's the relationship. And relationships are built on trust. And trust is fundamentally built on the idea that like, I'm going to do right by you, right? And when, when you guys evidence that, man, it just goes so far to building trust. So I, I just cannot reinforce that enough. Um, wow, time has flown by. Um, this has been fantastic. Did I, so did you did you get your questions in? Like this I, has been great, yes. Okay. Um, you know, I think it's always great to talk to the experts. So thank you, Anish and Lydia. It's been super helpful. Um, and we'll sort of, I'd love to circle back with any other questions as we kind of go along building teams and other things and figure out, you know, if we're doing it right, but it's been great. Well, we would love that. So Lydia, Anish, the work that you do for our department is kind of amazing, and we are all beneficiaries of it, and I've just been amazed by the thought leadership that you guys have put forward in taking what was a need that you guys saw and just taking it forward. Um, and so your time is precious and scarce, and so thank you so much for, for sharing it with us today. Thanks for having us, and thanks for all you do to contribute to. All right, with that, I think we'll shut it down. Thanks, guys.